You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. May is Asian Heritage Month, and Talking Taiwan was one of over 100 organizations and groups that participated in United We Stand, the 42nd annual Asian Pacific American Heritage Festival, organized by CAPA, the Coalition of Asian Pacific Americans. Usually the festival is a one-day outdoor event held in New York City, but this year it was run virtually online for the entire month of May. As I thought about how Talking Taiwan could go beyond just being another virtual booth in the festival and to give back to the community, I realized that we could put together an online event simply by inviting some of our past guests, namely Su-Lin Moy, Stephen Lee, and Peter Yang Zhao, for a discussion and Q&A on the topic of what to do if you are the target of Asian hate. And with the help of my friend Chris Chen, who's part of CAPA, the festival's organizing committee, we added another panelist, Chris Kwok, an attorney doing a lot of great work related to anti-Asian hate. The event was held on May 17th and recorded. We are sharing it here in two parts. This is part one featuring a discussion with our panelists. Part two will be the Q&A discussion that followed. Okay, everybody. Thank you very much, Chris, for holding down the fort. I apologize. We are having a few technical issues here with my camera and I actually, uh, my video camera. And I actually had to switch to another computer. But without further ado, let's get started. Um, I'm Felicia Lin, the host of the Talking Taiwan podcast, which has been around since 2013. And I'm really excited to bring this panel discussion and Q&A on the topic of what to do if you're the target of Asian hate. Uh, which has been organized in conjunction with United We Stand, the 42nd Annual Asian Pacific American Heritage Festival. I want to thank them for giving me the inspiration to um, organize and run this event. And I want to thank all of my panelists. I'm not going to go into their bios because that's all on the invitation. Um, You should be familiar with that. Um, The Asian Pacific American Festival is running for the entire month of May, and I highly encourage you to go over there and check out the over 100 organizations represented there, and there's a lot more events happening throughout the end of the month. Um, For those who don't know, Talking Taiwan is a weekly podcast about the interesting people and stories connected to Taiwan and Taiwan's global community. A few of our panelists today have actually been on the podcast, so I invite you to visit our website, which is TalkingTaiwan.com, to check out some of our past episodes. And in fact, we just launched our beautiful website, new website today, so it's a really important day for us. A few housekeeping notes before we get started. This event will be recorded, so just please be aware of that, and we have intentions to plan it to turn it into a future podcast episode. During the Q&A, um, first we're going to have a brief uh, discussion with the panelists, um, and during the Q&A, you're invited to raise your hand if you'd like to speak and ask a question. At that point, um, either Chris or I will unmute you, and... Um, we ask that you keep your comments brief and that you focus on uh, have what you have to say in the form of a question. You can also type in your question in the chat if you prefer to do that and not to speak. So I'm going to start off with a few questions to get us warmed up, but I really don't want this to be about um, us talking at you, but I really want it to be an opportunity for all of you to ask questions and to interact with the panelists to get today. I want you to know that this is a supportive environment and that we are all here to give you constructive advice and tips. So thank you again. Um, so first of all, um, our panelists today are Chris Kwok, um, Sulen Moy, Steve Lee, and Peter Zhao. 
Um, first of all, I would like to open up with having Sulin talk about what happened with her, and I think she has some very practical tips about what to do if you're actually harassed on the street because she has a story about what happened to her there. Great. Thanks so much, Felicia, for creating this space for this very important discussion. Um, in On February 20th, my son and I were walking to a bookstore and we were in Soho and we were waiting to cross the street and um, this white guy with like tattoos and like cuts all over his face, he was not wearing a mask. He was coming towards us and then, and then he swerved like right in front of me and he was like this close to my face and he basically started shouting, you know, fucking gooks and I'm, um, you know, suck my dick, I'm gonna kill you, like all this stuff at us, just like all this hatred. And I don't think he was aware that I was with my son um, and that we were related. So he was very surprised when we began like shouting at him really loudly, so loudly that everybody on all four corners stopped and looked up. And so that's when he started to run away. But like, you know, we were screaming racist, we were screaming pervert. Um, my, you know, I use the expression, yell it back to hell. That's what we did. We, you know, my son and I, we both love to sing karaoke. We have very strong voices and we just shouted. He just like went right back across the street. Um, my sister-in-law actually made me this t-shirt, yell it back to hell. Um, but my whole thing is, uh, I grew up in New York City. I went to high school here. And my whole thing is, um, I've written 16 guidelines for the parents of Asian children because an adoptive mother's group on Facebook reached out to me and they wanted to know how can we protect our children. And so I offer um, some tips at sulain.com, S-U-E-L-A-I-N.com, where I basically tell people um, you have to be prepared for this moment of confrontation, harassment, or violence. A lot of times what happens is uh, people freeze up or, you know, they might have mace on them or or some other weapon and they take it out and they expect it to talk for them. It's not going to talk for you. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is that um, I think it's great that lawmakers are trying to change the law. There's a big difference between changing the law and enforcement of the law. So what I tell families is, uh, you know that expression, dance like no one is watching, no one is looking? You've got to be ready to protect yourself like no one is coming. All right. It's great if a passerby intervenes and takes a picture, but you yourself have to be ready. And that that's a hard cultural shift for us. You know, um, I'm telling people to tell their kids this is not the time to be polite. If you feel unsafe for whatever reason, you run, you cross the street. If, you know, for whatever reason, anybody makes you feel uncomfortable, you honor that gut feeling first. Um, and that's because I think it's going to take months, possibly longer, for the law to catch up to what is actually happening on the streets. Um, I'm hearing from a lot of friends who've been uh, physically hurt and attacked. My son and I that day, we were able to ward off an attack. He, the guy kept going into his jacket like he was going to pull something out. He was like hovering nearby. So that's why we shouted with such force. And so my big thing to kids and to parents and to young women, right? Because three out of four victims are women 
is to be as unpredictable as possible. Your job here is to throw off your would-be harasser or attacker and, um, and run away to safety. If passerby, you know, if bystanders intervene, great. If a police officer comes, I've even done things where I've been like, oh, thanks officer. And the person turns and looks around and I'm out of there. So um, what I'm talking about is really a, a shift. You know, I'd, I'd like people to be a little bit more street smart and use a little bit more street psychology. Um, I would say that, I would say that it's really rough out there right now it's very unpredictable there's a lot of random violence um just last week two men were following me down canal street near the bowery and this guy kept saying i know that ass i recognize that ass and he just kept like coming closer and closer and i actually i i had a rolling pin with me and i took it out (laughs) and um there was a distinct change in the chirp shall we say because he could not back away fast enough. He was like, um, oh, I don't know her. I do not know her. I, I don't know her. Don't look at her. I don't know her. And they took off. But in that moment, I was, um, I was very prepared and I was very ready. I don't blame people when they get attacked. I don't blame people for being harassed because a lot of it actually has to do with the person who's trying to humiliate you. And so I, for me because this has been happening to me since I was a kid, since I was 12 or 13. For me, I make my voice very low and very loud. And I also take a very, um, I take a very strong stance on the street so that I like to think of it as my own kind of aversion therapy. And that I'm actually performing a public service every time I set one of these clowns straight. So that's not a philosophy that everyone takes. It's, you know, I have a lot of family members who are in law enforcement And over the years, you know, would tell me things like how to get out of a headlock, you know, like to slide, make yourself as heavy as possible. Um, If you have something like a stick or an umbrella or a cane, you know, aim for the face, aim for the private parts and aim for the knees. And I hate to be so literal, but we are literally in a fight for our lives and our safety out there. And I don't want to see anyone get hurt. So that day, what happened to my son and me? We didn't get hurt that day, but we very easily could have. Um, I just, I'm of, I'm of the opinion that you should come out swinging if you are prepared to do so. Um, I don't want to give anyone a reason to come back and to attack more people, but I totally understand if people are taken off guard and they feel uncomfortable about it. Um, Like I said, you know, I started off as very scared, big-eyed, you know, 13-year-old walking down the street and having these men saying horrible things to me about my race, about what they'd like me to do for them, and all this stuff. And so that's why, you know, when I encounter one of these creeps, um, part of my thing is I don't want them to do that to anyone else. I don't want them to do that to anyone's daughter or wife or girlfriend or mother or aunt or grandmother. So, um that's pretty much the tact I take and that I recommend, you know, safety first and be prepared to discuss these hard topics with your kids about how they can keep themselves safe. You know, sometimes some kids I'll say, just pretend you don't speak English and go, you know, and just walk away. Sometimes that works. Uh, I've sung, my son has spoken, you know, different accents from British to Southern. And, um, 
these are all things that have helped protect us and have helped protect other people too. So um, I don't know if anybody has any questions or comments. I don't know, Felicia. But things have not gotten better since the end of February. I feel like they're getting worse for sure. Right. Well, thank you very much, Elaine, for sharing those practical tips. I think there's things for people to do, whether or not you're someone that's vocal or not. Um, as Elaine said, if you you could even just pretend to not understand the person that you don't understand English. Um, but I was also wondering, like, if somebody encounters a situation like this, um, where should they report something like this? Like Steve or Chris, do you have any comments about where to report this? Because I believe Sulan reported, you reported to the, um, was it the NYPD um, Asian Hate Task Force? Um, hate Crimes Hotline. I left mm-hmm. a message there. Mm-hmm. Um, when we first went online, the first resource we found was like, you know, there were like videos from the mayor, the mayor's wife, you had to scroll all the way to the bottom to find that you had to call 911 or 311. Right now, the definition of a hate crime is if something violent happened to you and was accompanied by hate speech um, or something in writing. Um, I We really did not want to give the guy that opportunity. So, um, you know, sometimes I feel funny because they're like, well, what happened to you? It's not what happened to me. It's what almost happened to right, me. Right, right. So, um, Steve or Chris, do you have any comments about where is the best place to report this? Because I don't think Celine got confirmation of whether or not her report was received. Like, at the very least, I think um, if this happens to someone, they may want to make sure that it's reported somewhere for statistical reporting purposes to know that it's going on the record. Yeah, I also reported to two AAPI hate crimes okay. surveys. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so... You could report it to the NYPD, of course, um, call 911. Somebody come by and make a report. Uh, if you don't feel comfortable calling the police, then you could also report it to the Attorney General's office. I put the link in the chat. They have a hotline. Um, you, know, you can reach out to them. Um, there's certain things. When, when you report uh, a hate crime, you have to be very detail why you think it's a hate crime, right? For in order for it to be a hate crime, it has to be some kind of uh, discrimination, right? So they have to like, you know, call you a chink or something like that, or make you feel like you got attacked because of the way you look or who you are, right? And if you just say, oh, this person attacked me and harassed me, that's not a hate crime, unfortunately, right? Because under under the law, um, it's just harassment. But if you said, hey, this guy called me a chink um, or, or you know, any other derogatory terms, uh, racist slurs, then it becomes a hate crime. Um, Even if he hasn't, like, physically touched me. He's come, like, very close to my face but has not touched me. That's still harassment. You know? um, and, and if they do so on the basis of uh, your national origin, race, or color, that's aggravated harassment. Right, and and that is uh, arrestable offense. Something yes. that yeah, that, that becomes a misdemeanor, and that's a arrestable offense. Mm-hmm. Also, if you if the person is in your face and you're in you know um, legit fear of your life, or you know you feel like you're in danger, that's also um, a misdemeanor offense. It's also um, aggravated harassment. So <clears throat> it's all about articulation and how you describe it. Don't feel if you feel like, you know, oh, I didn't mention it because, you know, I didn't think it was important, that's 
That's not true. Men- mention every detail. It's all important. If they called you whatever slur, if they looked at you before, if they followed you down the block, or if you just if not the first time you saw the person, mention all that. All those details are very important because it builds um, the crime up. To the I point also where- wrote a very detailed email as well when I didn't get a call back. Um, I've also had friends who've actually had things thrown at them and were hurt and tried to file a report and um, never heard back, like had to check back with the precinct multiple times. Those are, those are all issues that really we've been able, we've had to deal with as a community. Yeah. Um, Because, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So um, first I have to say uh, I am a police officer, but um, right now I am not speaking as a representative of NYPD, I'm speaking as a private citizen because I feel like it's all a public concern. For some reason, I have to say that in every podcast now. Um, so, yeah, uh, one of the big problems that we do have is what we like to call, uh, as police officers, shit canning, right? So they take the report, they downgrade it, they don't follow up on it, they just close it out. Um, one, because the statistic-wise, they, they don't want the crime rate to go up supposedly right and if there's a large amount of asian hate then they have to you know come up with resources to address it right um when they said oh you know there's only 29 incidents this year or whatever all those numbers are false because we all we all see it that it's definitely more than 29 incidents that have been happening since the beginning of the year and they've just been miscategorized um the reports have been um downgraded and that's, you know, a political ploy. And um, that's why I say, like, if you don't feel comfortable calling the NYPD, call the Attorney General's office. I think they, they make a bigger... Yeah, yeah, and also get your local politician to push it. Um, you should definitely keep following up. Uh, if they don't, don't want to um, give you an update of the status or whatever, you know, just keep calling keep calling and when they know that you're not going away then they'll be like all right you know what let me just take care of this because this person's not going away is there Um, a a statute of limitations like this happened to us on february 20th so is there what's my end date for reporting this incident um chris is a lawyer so uh he might know it but i think it's one year okay this on this question i don't have an answer unfortunately because uh you know sorry there there but i'll tell you that soon given what you described you know, it, it's difficult because if it happened on the street and there's no video of it and the police were not like a block or two. I did have two witnesses. Oh, okay. Were they willing to come back? Yeah. Because like once like you repeat it, report it afterwards, I think the chances of those cops spending a great deal of expense and time without any serious physical injury is very, very small. Do you know what I mean? Sort of like with the video of it, with people suffering injury, it being on the news, that's going to sort of engender like, you know, a really strong police response. Right. And I would also say that don't worry. Like, is this a hate crime? How do I report it? Just when you talk to the cops, just tell them what happened, you know, tell them what happened, tell them all the details. Like you told us, you know, I I felt very threatened because he was so close to my face and he wasn't wearing a mask. And I thought like this guy could make me sick. Right. Along, along with the other things that he said to you, that was aggravated harassment. That, that that could have been, I think, theoretically charged with that hate crime element there. Yeah, um, and also menacing. Right. And um, that's something that cops generally on the beat have not, up until recently, been really well aware of. 
and they they would be like, oh, I didn't see it. I'm sorry. But if if they if if you have been selected on the basis of your race, color, national origin, it becomes aggravated harassment. It becomes something that is arrestable offense, as Stephen said in the beginning. So. And do you recommend, Stephen, that people use these words, aggravated harassment? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but you have to know what is aggravated harassment, right? So, like. A lot of times when I was patrolling, uh, people would be like, oh, but that's a robbery. No, it's not robbery. It's just grand larceny, right? Um, there's a big difference because grand larceny doesn't have any injuries or force involved, and robbery does, right? Um, harassment, like somebody comes up to you and just slaps you and walks away, and you ha- and then you, the, the cops ask you, are you in pain? Are you injured? And you go, no, I'm okay then it becomes just regular harassment and it's not arrestable. It's, you know, it's a summons and the cop has to witness it in order to give the summons, you know, but if you say, Oh, my face still hurts, then it becomes assault, which is arrestable. You understand? So don't, you know, when when it comes to uh, making a report, don't um, undermine anything. Right. Meaning like, don't, don't be like, oh, no, I'm okay. There's no injuries. No, I don't want to go to the hospital. No. Look, if you have an injury, something hurts, say it. Yeah, my cheek is still sore. You know, or um, I was really in, I was really threatened. I felt like, you know, he was going to kill me or something, like something was going to happen. You know, like he was going to harm me and my child. All those words mean something because that builds up to menacing. Well, right. he actually said, he said, I'm going to fucking kill you. So Yeah, so that's aggravated harassment yeah, like, and menacing, which is two two offenses. Right. right, so that becomes two offenses. But if you just go up to him like, oh, this guy was cursing at me and, you know, getting all up in my face, that's it. That's harassment. You know, so it's all about how you describe what the incident was. And you have to give details, a lot of details. And, you know, then they'll take it properly. Um you could also report it to the NYPD and report it to the Attorney General's office to both places, just in case. You know? um, <clears throat> also, you could ask for the the Community Affairs Officer or the NCO, which is the Neighborhood Coordinating Officer, and they will follow up for you also because that's their job. That's Does their it role. Does matter which precinct I go to? Because five is on Elizabeth. <clears throat> this happened in Soho <clears throat> at the corner of Prince and Ma. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So one of the rules in NYPD, which is a big misconception, and um, a lot of times, like, um, I don't want to say all cops, right? But a lot of cops say, oh, no, um, it didn't happen here. You have to go to, you know, where, where it happened. That's absolutely not true. One of the main rules in NYPD is to refer the complaint, not to complain it. So if it happened in Chinatown and you live in Harlem, you could absolutely call 911 or walk into your local precinct in Harlem. And they have to take the report for you. That's one of our rules. They have to take the report for you, and they will forward the complaint report over to the fifth precinct where it happened. And their detectives will investigate and, and you know, figure things out. Um, the politics of why that happened, I'm not going to go into it. It's just no. I mean, we can't. <laughs> I mean, I'm, yeah. and that's not the purpose, but. I have a lot of friends who, after they hear what happened to us, they come forward and they say, you know, I was slapped, I was spit on. Like, what would that kind of crime be called? Because to me, that crosses a line, you know? Right. Like, like, I, said, like I said, if um, if they were slapped and they had pain, 
um, then it's assault. If they were slapped and they're not in pain, then it's harassment. If they were spit on and um, what spat on and you know they don't have no pain, that's unfortunately harassment. You know, but if you know they they were aggressively doing it, then you know it's quite possibly can be borderline you know aggravated harassment. Okay, yeah. thank you, Stephen. I okay. Thank you for that clarification. Um, I would like to invite our panelist, um, Peter, because I think it's good to kind of uh, talk about some of our panelists' experiences um, so that we can have that as a framework for discussion, and then we can open it to the um, audience if they have any um, specific um, questions uh, that either come from their own personal experience or something that they're hearing tonight. So, Peter, could you share um, the incident that happened with your wife? Sorry, I had to. Uh, yes, struck my, my three-year-old and seven-year-old to be very quiet. <laughs> I told my, I told my son, my, you know, my seven-year-old is aware of racism. You know, my wife and I have been talking to him about racism. So as a matter of fact, you know, I told him, you know what, daddy's going to be talking about racism and, uh, and uh, to the world today. So please give me an hour of my time. <laughs> Just <laughs> keep it quiet, you know. <laughs> so thank you, Felicia. Thank you for introducing me. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Peter. Uh, I'm a father. I'm a husband. Uh, I've been a New Yorker for the past 30 years. I'm an immigrant from China. And uh, before I start, just want to let you know, you know, in between uh, my talking, you will see me making a lot of uh, facial movements. You'll, you'll see me making noises uh, like this. As you can see from the background, also my shirt, you know, I'm representing this month. It's not just API Heritage Month. It's also uh, Taiwanese Heritage Month. It's also uh, Mental Health Awareness Month. It's also... Tourette Syndrome Awareness Month, you know. So I have Tourette's. It's a semi-neurological disorder associated with tics. We also come with a whole slew of behavioral health problems like ADHD, OCD, and a lot of kids get it. I've been having this for 30 years. I took medication. Now I'm off mat. I'm a Tourette advocate, and this is the reason why you see these colors and all this stuff look all matching. So I'm here not to talk about Tourette's. I'm here to talk about... Uh, my wife's incident. Uh, my wife, she's not uh, very, uh, she's not extroverted like myself. So she's, uh, she doesn't like to speak on TV. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, when she had her incident, uh, we had a rooter coming to us wanting to do an interview. Uh, I have no problem doing a thousand interviews, but my, my wife uh, has a lot of problems doing any interviews. So, uh, so this, this story happened last year. Uh, this happened uh, in in January of 2020, this is when, you know, COVID-19 hasn't yet arrived in America, but there's a lot of talk already going on. There's a lot of stuff happening on news, and you know, at the time, the presidential administration is already tweeting about China this and China that. So, and plus, there was already four years of trade war, and uh, things have changed a lot since, since 2016. Um, so, being said... You know, New York City, you know, as parents, we all know, you know, rush hour, dropping off your kids and picking up your kids, you know, it's very, very hectic. So in, in Flushing, I'm trying to drop my, uh, my wife, drop my, my kid in the morning. All right, do it. So that morning she was dropping off my kid and she was going to be on her way out to her work. 
And uh, it was, you know, one of those days where just bus and cars all trying to get through. People not just double park, they triple park, right? And by the time you drop off the kids and you're trying to get back in lane and drive, there's just tons of traffic. It's really crazy. So she, was, she just dropped off my kid and she's driving. And there's this other woman just honking the horn trying to merge in traffic. You know, just too tired to merge. So my wife actually made a contact with this person. You know, she was, uh, she appeared to be Hispanic. And uh, she was very upset, very loud, trying to merge. So after my wife taps her, so this lady who was trying to merge came immediately after, right behind. Like she caught off the car behind her. She came immediately after my, my wife. When they got to the, uh, to the, to the red light, uh, the lady came out of her car. So this is like a road rage scenario, you know. That's, that's what I explained. Early in the morning, dropping off your kids can be very stressful. So this lady thinks she owned a road. She she came out of the car and she came up she came up to to front to where my wife is, you know, at the pass, at the driver's seat. So she knocked down the window. My wife rolled down the window. So my wife tells me. Also, I have this also recorded on my on my uh, dash cam video actually. So she she was upset because she said that my wife won't let her merge. So my wife said, you know, it's it's a crazy mess out there, right? You can't, you can't just wait. So she just got agitated. The next thing she comes out is, you stupid, diseased Chinese bitch, right? She's out of nowhere. I'm like, yo, you know, everyone's parents, we're all dropping off kids. You know, I, I, you know why you have to act like this? So out of nowhere, she threw this at right in my, my wife's face. Normally, my wife, she grew up here. You know, she's Korean. She's, you know, she's Korean, yet she's being mistaken for Chinese. She's being a quarter. DZ Chinese bitch. My wife's not the type of girl who get pushed around. She grew up here. She's very street smart. As a matter of fact, usually people get intimidated by her. So, but this lady just went at her, calling her DZ Chinese bitch. So my wife, yeah, she came out of the car and, and want to talk to her about it. You know, why you call me that, those names? So, be, you know, with, without any uh, provocations, nothing, this lady just sucker punched my wife, you know. Uh, using a phone, right? using a phone, right? She did that, and then my wife just started bleeding uh, uh, from uh, from her, her forehead, <laughs> so she can't see. I think she she said she's trying to grab onto her, attack her. They struggle a little bit, but she can't see, so she can't even change any fist, nothing like that. So I saw on a dash cam video that my wife's bleeding from her head, and then she was on a cell phone calling the cop. <laughs> she said she she told me the moment that woman like punched her and crack her head open. I think she also saw her. She had the shock on her face, like, oh man, I'm in trouble, and, right? So that's kind of, kind of everything kind of stopped, right? So when the police came from 109 precinct, <laughs> so my wife told me, on a 911 call, she explained that this briefly what happened. This, this woman called her disease Chinese bitch. Uh, punched her with an object and she's bleeding. So she's calling for, for, for 911. And then a cop, cop showed up. Uh, she said it was two, two cops. It was two Hispanic cops. They showed up. Uh, she said they spoke to the, the, the assailant. Also, they spoke to one person, like one white lady on the street, right? And this happened right now. Right. My wife has already spoken to at least like two or three parents on the street. And she learned that this person have a history of anger issue on the street, 
like outside the school. So she has had problem with other 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 parents before. There was also a crossing guard. So we haven't got she haven't got a chance to talk to the crossing guard yet. On top, I got a dash cam. So the cop only spoke to one white lady. And my wife then told the cop what happened. My wife also, you know, she speaks very well English, you know. No problem. She's born here, grew up here, have no problem explaining. She also knows law. And uh, so what's strange is that she never got a chance to fully explain uh, what happened. She never got a chance to show the cops the, the dash cam videos. Uh, so she never got a chance. The cop never gave her any chance to do all this stuff. The next, next, next minute, she got cuffed. She got arrested, right? So then, so she, 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 she was in a, she was, she was in a lot of shock. So she said she doesn't understand why this happened. So God, cop basically tells her, "Oh, you put a cuff on you is procedure." Right. Right. So <clears throat> she also saw the lady came, uh, also got cuffed, and she was sending to a second ambulance. Uh, so she was taken to like Flushing Hospital in in you know, in in handcuffs and in feet shackles, right? For being a victim. Yeah. So so she has to walk through the through the emergency room through the hallway like that. And she told me like nurses were were, were like were like were questioning why is why is she you know in, in this, this condition? You no, know? when she was getting stitched up, uh, they 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 asked, can you take the stuff off? And the cop refused to. Meanwhile, she you know she didn't do anything, right? She didn't do anything. She never even got a chance to fight back because she got my wife. My wife wear glasses and she got very heavy, heavy, uh, heavy degrees. So, so without glasses, she's like blind, no? So plus the blood. So, so you know she couldn't do anything. So yeah, she's 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 in cuffs. So after she got stitched up, you know she 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 went to one nine. She doesn't know what happened to the other lady. Assuming. She also went through the whole process. She found out that she's also cuffed is because that lady claims she got a little cut on her finger. And because of that, because of that, the cops didn't want to investigate on the spot and talk to people, talk to my wife and do other work. They just decided to say, okay, there's a fight between two women. No, but there was no fight between two women, right? It was, it was being, a, she was being attacked. Not to mention, yo, freaking traffic violation, man. You know, this person came out of a car, idling car, at the traffic light, starting a road rage attack. On top, you know, calling her this nasty, nasty, hateful, hateful term. So, so she got to Wang Nai. Uh, so, thankfully, the bell reform, she didn't have to go to central booking or anything like that. But because of the bell reform, the cops kept on Put put in blame on the bell reform. So they basically explained to my wife, "Oh, the reason why you also cuff you like this is because the bell reform gave us a lot of work. You know, we are we're overworked. So basically, they're trying to say that they are they're taking the easy way out. They they're giving us to the process. So what happens is that she got a desk appearance ticket and then she has to show up in court, lawyered up, but then she got to go to a criminal court." Right to fight off a, a freaking a, a judgment that a charge she don't deserve because she's the victim here. But that's what happened that day that she was basically a victim. But meanwhile, she got in, injustified right, for for all this and got into a worse situation. Right. So, uh, 
what I did afterwards, I thought I had a lot of friends. Uh, I, I have a large network. I'm very outspoken out there. So I reached out to my people on social media. And, uh, yeah, very soon we, we did get a meeting set up with some uh, <clears throat> outspoken leadership business people from Flushing. Uh, we, uh, we had a sit-down meeting. Uh, but you know what? It didn't impress us. You know, the two options given to us, I kind of know already, right? One is that we were referred to like uh, Ming Kuang Center. We're also referred to like A Delph, right? Um, uh, hoping to get a, a free a lawyer. We, we don't have a pro bono lawyer to, to fight this case for us, you know? But this is no longer a civil case. This has criminal case. So, so she has to be proven not guilty for, for, for the assault, right? She, meanwhile, she didn't do anything. And then, what happened? Peter, yeah. Um, yeah. Can I stop you here? And um, I wanted to actually talk about the distinction between the criminal and civil, civil case and why your case was um, con- considered criminal. So, um, Steve, can you comment on that? Is this because of the, po- uh, the way the police filed um, the case or something, and what? And then maybe Chris Kwok, you could explain to us what is the difference between a civil case and a criminal case. Well, um, one is definitely a criminal case because of the assault. Um, you know, there was an attack. Um, her, the lady using her cell phone. The cell phone becomes the weapon and it becomes assault too, um, which is a felony. Um, if the lady claims that she also has an injury and Peter's wife didn't use um, a weapon, it would be a assault three, which is a misdemeanor. But um, that would have been easily thrown out because as police officers were trained to see um, offensive wounds and defensive wounds, and it's obvious that the cut on her hand probably came from her using her cell phone to strike her and it, she probably cut herself. Um Civilly, though, you could probably still sue her civilly for, you know, hospital bills and stuff like that. Um, but that's something I guess Chris could further clarify, right? So yeah. it, could, it could be both. Yeah, I mean, everything that happens theoretically can be both. So the best way to think about the difference between a criminal case and a civil case is the result. What happens at the end of those cases? In a criminal case, there is some type of judgment. Maybe there's jail. If it's a serious offense... Um, if, if there's not jail, there's some other thing on your record, a misdemeanor. Um, but the criminal cases are not bought by individuals. They are investigated by the police, and then it goes to the DA, the district mm-hmm. attorney, right? So every borough in our city has a different district attorney. And in this, in this instance, of course, it would be the Queens district attorney deciding based on the investigation, you know, made by the NYPD on the scene, um, you know, what it's going to charge or not going to charge. And then you as an individual have a right to decide if you want to bring a case for uh, civil damages because a civil case, it ends in money, right? That's the, that's the end result of a civil case. And a civil case is on you. It's on you to get a lawyer. It's on you to do it yourself. And so the criminal case is not a decision made by you. And it goes back to something we were talking to uh, Suleen uh, before, mm-hmm. like you something happens to you, you report to the police, the police do their investigation. Someone else is deciding how that case proceeds criminally or not. Not you. You are there to help, give information that maybe they'll come back to you. 
but the criminal case is prosecuted by people you hire and paid for by your taxes in the district attorney's office. In a civil case, these are decisions you make on your own to pursue it or not. Okay, so um, Peter, did you want to continue like to talk about what was the end result because it was a criminal case and you tried to get a lawyer and what happened? Sure, sure, definitely, definitely. I mean, I, I, you know, personally, I've, I've, I have, I have been through situations where I had to acquire a lawyer before, so I, I, I knew the process. But of course, in this case, that, uh, you know, sh she was wrong. <laughs> So we really don't have any intention of, you know, getting ourselves into this problem. So obviously, I, I'm not going to pay for my own lawyer to fight for something I didn't do. So, so I was looking for a, a pro bono. Uh, I was on social media, and I'm like, I threw up a message, hey, any of my lawyer friends want to do a pro bono case for me? In the meantime, uh, I spoke to a bunch of uh, people from, like, you know, Flushing Chamber of Commerce, uh, they sat down with me because, you know, they know all the business people around the area. I, ho I hope that they can give me some leads. So, you know, we, we were given like two options, basically. One, uh, we will refer to uh, uh, Ming Kwang Center uh, along the way. Also, uh, Asian American Defense and Education League Fund, uh, hoping they can give us uh, some leads on a pro, pro bono lawyer. Uh, on the second option uh, is basically... Through a rally, uh, make a large enough, get news attention. So make a large enough, and hopefully the politicians, the leadership will come out and support you. Uh, and of course, I'm thinking, you know, why can't it be the other way around? You know, why is it I have to make so much noise? Especially, you know, I don't mind making a lot of noise. You know, I, I personally, I love attention. My wife's different. I have to respect the victim, you know. And, and so she has every, every right to not make a big, to make a rally out of it. So I'm thinking, you know, why can't they approach? Plus, plus uh, I know at the time I was on a friendly basis with, with some of the leadership. So I thought they can come out and, and, and give me some support. In, in, instead, I got nothing. So I'm being told that I have to make a rally and speak to all the reporters and make things big enough so hopefully to grab their attention so they can come and speak for me. So this is the second option. So basically from the second option, I can also trigger the attention of other people. Hopefully some people will jump on this and give me a pro bono uh, case. Uh, so we didn't go for the second option. We didn't like it. We felt like we're not, we felt like we're not doing this for ourselves. We felt like we're doing this for publicity of other people, you know, so we didn't like that. So we said, you know what? Okay, let's go for the, uh, the community uh, group. Uh, process. Uh, my wife also knew a few other activists, uh, and they also recommended that we should check with A.E. Delft. So, so that's what we did. So she she first wrote, reached out to Ming Kwang Center, wrote them email, uh, email, also called, left like the message. She did the same thing for A.E. Delft, and uh, so she told me that when uh, Ming Kwang Center never got back to her. So she she I think she sent like two three two, two three emails, called several times. They never got back to her. So uh, at A. Delft, she did speak to uh, the receptionist. But she, I don't know what happened, but she said they, there was like a miscommunication, a misunderstanding on the phone. She's calling them for lawyer. Then they ended up arguing on the phone. And I, it just got so upsetting. 
So then I, I, I told her, you know, what about your email? If you if your phone call can go get to the right people, what about email? So she said, she said yeah, they're supposedly their director responded back. But then she 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 told me, uh, basically told me that uh, they have a lot of lawyers on hand to represent us in a civil case, but then they don't have any lawyer on hand to represent us in a criminal case in Queens. Uh, so. So then, so basically, they threw us back to Ming Kuang Center. Ming Kuang Center again. We, we she called two, three times, and then I think at the time, uh, Ron Kim was running for re-election. So, so he, I think he was using up Ming Kuang Center resource at the time. So they're not calling us back. All right. So, so at this time, the the the, the people I know from like Chamber of Commerce, they said, "Oh, how about we throw a rally?" I said, "Look, man, you know, you know." Rally might be a good option for me, but again, you know, my wife don't want to make this big. She had she had concussion for like for like a week, and you know the stitches, four four stitches. It's it's really tough, you know. So so I said, how about recommend me a lawyer, man? I said, you guys are the commerce people in Flushing, you know. Don't you know any any lawyer who want to do a pro bono case for me, maybe? So they they reach out to the bar association and they got us a a, a recommendation. Uh, it was a it was a a, a, a white woman. Uh, uh, she's a defense lawyer. Uh, I check. I look her up. I spoke to my friends at the time. I have a friend who used to be ADA in Queens County. So I can ask him if you know about this lady. He said, Yeah, she's okay. But he also said, You know, she's kind of like she's the type of lawyer who like to just dismiss cases. You know, I, at, at first I said, Okay. I think a lot of time they want they do want to dismiss cases to ease. But I didn't realize. I didn't take this into contact. So, but. Until we actually spoke to this lady, she basically refused to even mention race. We kept telling her about diseased Chinese bitch. We kept telling her about this hateful elements that started everything. But then she refused to hear it. So she just responded back to us saying that she's going to find, find out this and this and that. But most likely, we'll get this, have this case dismissed. Right? So thankfully, she's not that expensive. So, so we paid a very reasonable amount amount of money to 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 for this case and i just so yes yeah. chris could you comment on this because yeah, I, I was yeah yeah i just want to make two quick points part of the problem is the delivery of legal services to working folk and common like regular folks is really it's really bad so for example the two uh institutions that he uh, uh that that peter has mentioned oh, all oh. and uh asian american legal defense and education oh. fund does not represent individual in cases. They do not provide individual services. For for the entire existence, they have labored to explain what they do. What they do is they do impact litigation. So they're modeled on the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund. They go, black like back then, black kids can't um, access the education system, so they will bring a case for all black kids to make it impact, you know, using one person, but it's not for them, it's for the class. And that's oh. what all death is built on the basis of. They do impact litigation. So kids are not getting schooled, uh, you know, uh, workers at a restaurant are not getting paid. They're being, you know, forced to do religious. So that's what all death has always done. So actually they have their job is explain to people when they call them, we don't do personal direct legal services. And that's part of a explanation problem and a communication problem. Min Kwan does offer direct legal services, but in very specific things like immigration, DACA, 
part of it is that it's very expensive to have lawyers. And when they do, they want to hire lawyers that do very specific things that they feel they can, um, you know, um, you know, that they can provide legal services for DACA, immigration, you know, benefits, mm-hmm. things like that. Right. So they're not like, like the law is really complex. So they can't just be like a general law firm. And, and this is not by, by way of blaming Peter, but, but just to explain the difficulty in which individuals have in accessing legal services that is true and appropriate to their needs. Because particularly in immigrant areas, and I grew up in Flushing, so I say this as someone who sees Flushing as their sort of home, there's a lot of lawyers there, but a lot of them don't know anything. They don't have any expertise in anything. The only expertise they have is referring people out to other people. Like, you know, and that's, <laughs> a really, that's a really bad skill system. Part of the reason is they come here to go to law school. They don't, they don't learn anything anywhere. Then they just pass the bar and they just hang up a shingle. I'm a lawyer. And then the last thing is that Peter's case, and, we, and Peter hasn't gotten to the point where it's been dismissed or they, they say they're not going to pursue it. It's a civil case, and it's a civil case, and it falls within personal injury because his wife has suffered an injury. Generally, there's money in it if a lawyer thinks there's money to be gotten out of it. They'll take a portion of it, so they won't take any money up front, right? So they can't pursue it criminally because the district attorneys, that's the district attorney's decision by law to to pursue a criminal case because that ends up with you maybe having a record or in jail. At this point, Peter's, you know, um, choice is to say, well, I, well, I sue for damages. But here's the thing. Most people walking on the street in a street fight, they probably don't have a lot of money for you to go and sue them and then get it, right? Now, she got out of her car, maybe they could have gotten after insurance, because that's where, like, insurance, once you bring cars and insurance in, that's where lawyers are like, mm, maybe I can get some money. So that's just a little bit around it. And it's part that we do not have enough legal services that is appropriate that can be explained to people and that people can access in a way that's um, right for their problem. And I was just wondering in terms of like Peter had some uh, issues with how he thought the lawyer was handling the case. What can somebody do in that case if they feel their lawyer isn't um, using the right strategy? That's why, um, that's why I'm so active in the Asian American bar. So I grew up here I went to college, um, you know, pretty sophisticated people, right. You know, we're, you know, like, um, but, People, when they have problems in their life, they don't know which lawyer to call. And they only know like one lawyer. And they're like, I'll call you. And, but that person might not be the right lawyer. Most likely they're not. And so that's why bar associations, uh, actually Peter got to me, we were talking and I couldn't help him because I think he, he had already hired the lawyer. But it's hard to figure out the problems because the law is very expensive. And the only people who can really use the law well and is the people who can pay a lot of money for it, corporations and rich people. Everyone else, it basically you have to have like a big network of people that you can call and be like, what do I do, right? And Peter was very good in doing that. But I think Peter's frustration was in reaching an immigrant community that is still finding its way and getting resources and people and professional services to people who need it in the right way that get people who are um, not going to exploit you because lawyers can exploit you. And if you don't find the right one, and you should trust your gut. I think Peter has some experience with the law before, as well as having a good gut. If you don't feel comfortable and you don't think they're doing, and they're not explaining something to you, then you should go somewhere else. You should feel that they're explaining a thing to you, that they um, that you trust them, and it's okay for it to be gut feeling. Yeah. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. You hit a round on that. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, Peter, did you want to finish up uh, yeah. any other further, further comments? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I, I've uh, hired a lawyer in the past before for, for many different reasons. And, uh, and a lot of time, the, uh, uh, you know, just the initial, uh, you know, fee, it's, it's a lot of money, you know. And, uh, you know, I've seen like $300, $500 an hour. So, so this, this lawyer quoted us just one shot deal, like $780. So I thought, wow, this is nearly free. And so I thought this is really good. So I said, okay, fine. We couldn't get a pro bono, but we got this, this rate. It's, it's great. But, but of course, we told her that uh, <laughs> we kept on repeating to her that, you know, my wife had, had nothing to do with this. You know, and I don't, we don't know why she got arrested for And as far as I know, the cop didn't do their parts. So we we hope she's listening. But meanwhile, she's got her other things going on. So so when we finally met up for the first uh, court date, which is uh, a few weeks after this whole, I mean, a, a month after, a month and a half after this incident, because we actually got hit with one uh, rescheduling because around this time, uh, COVID has started and it has already made it into U.S. So things have already changed up a little bit. So when we finally got to court. Uh, for the first for the first day, so she was expecting the other lady also going to dismiss this case because you know oh, we we're thinking she she doesn't want to get into the whole problem. But when we got to the court, we found out oh this lady actually she thinks she's right, so she want to fight. So I said okay fine, we will fight for this you know. So now we so we so also my lawyer at the time she was kind of disappointed she she, she thought this will be a easy peasy dismiss uh, we get this acd dismissal and everybody walk home but turns out the other side want to go for this also we found out that she also this lady we were expecting her to get like a saw two but she got a saw three which is like a which is which which exact similar saw charge my wife received a saw three which it's which is wrong. We thought she got a saw too because my wife never even touched her, uh, and but this lady hit my wife with the phone with the object. So that's a lot heavier degree. A saw three. What you can get for max a saw three? Okay, a saw three you can get max one year prison sentence at Rikers. That's how a saw three can get you. I know two can get you a lot more, but three is already enough a case. But my wife didn't do anything. And she has to go through this. It's, it was a terrible ordeal. So about now, this lady, she don't want to give up. She want to fight. So it's okay. Now we, we are giving a second court date. So now we we went back to the scene. I talked. We talked to the witnesses. I spoke to the crossing guard. I got statements and statements notarized. I got a video. I got a video recording. So I got a bunch of things. I know I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm, we're gonna get this 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 lady in the criminal court. And who knows what's going to go after that. So, but COVID started. We were given uh, another rescheduling after another scheduling. So this whole rescheduling lasted for a whole year. And so finally, a year later, uh, as expected, the court is really backed up. So so, so, so Melinda Katz, Queen's DA, uh, decided to uh, give us a dismissal. Of course, in their mentality that they are doing us a favor, that this is dismissed. Now you're all free to go. Don't worry about it. Record will be erased like nothing ever happened. But, you know, we as the victim, we, we went through so much and also so much time waiting on this to happen. And, you know, all the anticipation and expectation now just down the drain. 
And of course, we, we, we spoke to our lawyer. Our lawyer said, yeah, congratulations. You know, your case got dismissed. And I'm like, what happened next? So, well, if you want to proceed further, you can go into the civil case and uh, see if you can fire, you know, try to litigate her personally. And, uh, you know, of course, at, at this point, it was a year later. We're, we're well into COVID. A lot of things have changed. Not to mention in my own life, I have a lot of things to deal with, not, not just little kids. I have my own problems, this and that. So it gets really, really overwhelming. And, you know, the question is, does the victim really want to go to a civil case? Uh, of course, there are chances are we may not have to spend any money because this is a personal injury case. But, you know, this is a tremendous amount of time. Uh, also, there's money. This is so unnecessary, especially for, for a victim who trying to forget all this happened a year ago. Now we have to dig through and restart. Why can't we just, why can't we just did it right in the beginning, right? Why couldn't the cop who showed up, you know, I don't mean to say there's some kind of bias, but, you know, when the assailant is a Hispanic lady and the two cops showed up who's Latin, I, I'm just thinking there there's some kind of a bias going on, right? You know, why this happen? You know, why do we have to be the one to, to suffer this injustification? We didn't ask for this, man. We wanted to be a good day, dropping off the kids, and this happens, you know? So why can't we start nice from the beginning so the victim don't have to go through all this BS, and in the end, we walk away with nothing, but the system thinks they did you a favor, right? Well so. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your story, Peter. It's really unfortunate that the pandemic like, um, actually intervened in this case. Um, I'm not sure if Chris, Chris Kwok, if you want to make any comments about like, if we could maybe say what would have been the best case scenario if Peter had had a chance to go to court with this as a criminal case and whether or not he should consider um, filing a civil case now that it got dismissed because of the pandemic. Do you have any thoughts on this, Chris? So without without the criminal case being prosecuted, the civil case gets a lot weaker, right? You know, and part of it is that for Peter, it happened relatively early in the pandemic. So people weren't thinking of it. I think the mm -hmm. police are much more sensitive to it now because it, because it became a political issue, because everyone was on TV talking about it. And once people got their ass beat on video and TV, you know, like all of a sudden the cops are like, we care, we want to make this, we want you know, like it was became a real political thing. And all of those things would have happened differently if it happened after the video, let's mm -hmm. say of that lady of 43rd Street, the Filipino lady. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of our, a lot of the way the police police and we want to talk about, you know, sort of justice also, because it's not like lock everybody up, right? But where people are, you know, and of course, I believe every word Peter said, I mean, that's like effed up, you know, just like two mothers dropping off and you get smacked in the yeah. face of the phone. You're like, that's road rage gone uh, wrapped around the, the, the COVID-19 gone way too far. You know, maybe she doesn't need to go to jail for a year, but something should have happened to be like, that can't happen on the streets, dropping mm -hmm. off your kids. That's not cool. Mm -hmm. You know, especially with anti-Chinese, anti-Asian rhetoric in there, right? Also, Katz didn't care. Katz did not care. She's like, you should thank me that I dismissed this against you. Well, it was wrong for you to be arrested because it was pretty obvious. The person's like, I got a little cut on my hand when I smashed her face. Her face hit my hand. You know, like literally it's like, shut up and get in the police car, right? <laughs> if that had been the right thing, right? But no, it's like, rest that woman who's bleeding and can't see you. Yeah, we need to bring her in. Like, really? Right? You know, like the thing is policing 
and prosecution is very political, okay? And no one gives a damn about Asians. That's just the truth, okay? That is changing. We're in the middle of changing it. But no one gives a damn unless we are politically active, unless we're politically engaged. We should be both those things in a fair way so that, you know, we don't over-police and we don't go unfairly after people. But at the same time, we need us. We need to be protected in a way that's not just making things easy. That was lazy policing to put just slam everybody in jail, right? Or get everyone arrested. And the politics and the pressing have changed. I mean, we can talk more about it. Because if you remember, because I'm glad that Peter talked about how she was charged with assault three. Basically, anything that happens on the streets where people are not like killing each other, it's like assault three. Okay, and they just like let him, it's like a misdemeanor. It's like a parking ticket. Do you guys remember the Flushing Bakery incident? where the person pushed out woman and she she split her head open with 10 stitches right down here. 10 stitches. That was assault three. What? That's BS, man. Jeez. But we changed, we changed it. And I will tell you how later. That was assault three. But no one knew. And after, after, after the Queen's Day charged that, what is she doing? Running around to every single... Every single thing going, we got your back. There's no Asian hate. We we care about you. You're like, and, and, and also like, you should report it. And here's Peter trying to report it, right? Here's Peter trying to make a thing and no one cares. Why? Because it didn't matter quite yet. You were just a little bit too early, you know? So people think that like policing is like this. It's bad. It's like that the district attorneys is like, if it's a crime, you're in. No. There's so much gray area. And actually, that goes back to something Zulane said earlier. There's so much gray area. The law does not need to catch up with what's happening. We have all the law. The DAs have the prosecution and have the discretion to decide and to decide how aggressively they go after um, um, a, a, an incident. Because, hey, we're in the middle of an anti-Asian pandemic and violence. Maybe we should take the worst case, take a bad case, and make an example so that we can tell people you can't just lash out at people because they're Asian. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you don't have to do that to everybody, everybody. But it might be good to have one case where you're like, I'm going to throw the book at you because we got to make an example to try to stop this right now. You know, and um, that could that could have been Peter's case. But cats didn't care. No one was pushing. We didn't know. It was too early. We were like all in the middle of, of trying to decide. And so. Yeah. But we have to understand it's very political all the way through. Yeah, I want to I want to add to that. Uh, Chris is one thousand percent correct. Thank um, you, Chris. Uh, my sixteen years as a police officer, seen it happen throughout the whole career. Um, everything that we do and how we react is all political. Uh, the reason why they ignore us is because they feel like we don't vote, we don't count. Uh, we're not going to make. Uh, we're not going to protest. We're not going to make a, you know any noise about it, and that kind of mentality needs to change. Um, it's unfortunate that they are correct. You know, um, we really you know don't vote. Come out as a community and vote. Unlike the Jewish community, they come out and vote. They donate to campaigns. They vote. They voice out. They will protest. They will riot, and they get stuff done. Um, I've seen the Jewish community get taken care of so fast. Um, it's, it's, it's ridiculous how unfair policing is. And it's, 
it's kind of sad to see that what is become right where is controlled by politics and politicians and you know if you want to be heard you want to you know change that then we need to speak out more you know the whole oh you know i wasn't going to report it but you know so and so convinced me no report it why not takes at least what an hour the most at most an hour of your time you know you, you call 911 the cops will come to you and you just do a report you don't have to give so when you do a report here's the other thing with the bail reform um the the perpetrator is given your information by the district attorney's office right within 48 hours i think uh because they have they, they changed it where they have the right to uh face their accuser right so when you do the report you know you're allowed to give just your first name and a phone number or point of contact right you have to give a point of contact because you know the district attorney has to reach out to you the detective has to reach out to you so you have to give a point of contact where they can reach out to you so you know what i would do is get a maybe like a burner um email or email that you use just for spam or whatever and you know sign up for email <clears throat> whenever you do it got forbid you have to do a report just give your name in that email all right uh if you give your full name and address then the perpetrator will have your full name and address which you know puts you in further danger i don't know what they were thinking when they thought of that but you know it is what it is so please be careful when you're doing a report right don't give you know information that you don't want anybody to have all right so like your full address and all that stuff and your date of birth and all that. you don't have to get that as a victim you don't have to give that information a lot of cops would be lazy and be like hey you have id on you let me see your id and then they just copy all the information down from your ID. You know, you're allowed to say, I don't want to give you my ID. What information do you need? I'll provide it for you. You know, um, okay, what's your first name? My first name is so-and-so. What's your last name? I don't want to give my last name. Okay. What's your address? I don't want to give my address. Okay. You know, I'll give you my email and my first name. That's what they need. That's what they need. They don't, they don't need, you know, all that information. When it goes to court... You could give the DA and be like, listen, um, I'll give you my first name and my email so you contact me, you know, or Google Google number or something like that and you contact me. But, you know, I don't, you know, I don't want the perpetrator to know where I live and stuff. So I don't, I'm not going to give you my address. I'm not going to give you my date of birth. And they'll understand. They'll understand. Um, they even gave, when, when that first passed the bail reform, the NYPD and the district attorney's office, they actually gave out like a memo. Um, you know, allowing cops to know, you know, give that information out, let the victims know that this information will be known to the perpetrator within 48 hours, so forth and so on. They try to stop it, but it couldn't. Um, but yes, so we need to be active, politically active, if you want to be heard. We need to voice our opinions. We need to come out and we need to speak up. If you want things to change, this is what needs to change. The whole mentality of keeping your head down, keeping silent, those days are over. They may have worked, you know, in the past um but doesn't work now if you're silent you you don't Mm -hmm. get you don't get what you want right thank you for that steve you've been listening to part one of a discussion and q a on the topic of what to do if you are the target of asian hate featuring a discussion with panelists chris kwok steve lee sulan moy and peter yang zhao The event was hosted by Talking Taiwan on May 17th in conjunction with United We Stand, 
the 42nd annual Asian Pacific American Heritage Festival, organized by CAPA, the Coalition of Asian Pacific Americans. Stay tuned for part two in the next episode of Talking Taiwan. To learn more about the annual Asian Pacific American Heritage Festival, the Coalition of Asian Pacific Americans, or any of the items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. There we'll list any links to items mentioned in this episode. Talking Taiwan publishes new episodes on a weekly basis, and our work is made possible by the generous donations of our supporters and listeners. Help us to grow and continue producing engaging content by supporting us on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Talking Taiwan. We are offering supporters invitations to a quarterly AMA or Ask Me Anything session with me, Felicia Lin, the host of Talking Taiwan. Advanced notification of future guests, a Talking Taiwan tote bag, and other mystery gifts. If you enjoyed this episode of Talking Taiwan, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, tell a friend about us, or help others to discover Talking Taiwan by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.